What do you think about self-driving cars? I'm pretty excited about them. I'm optimistic that it is the, the future of, of driving. I think they're going to be amazing. I actually think it would be a lot safer if people weren't driving. I think what's important is that the driver is still in control. I have no idea if I could trust it. If it makes a mistake, then who are you to blame? I'm a little concerned about how they're going to make decisions. I don't know who's going to want a self-driving car, to tell you the truth. What is the advantage of it? You're listening to Got Science, a podcast on the power of science to make the world a better place, and the brave women and men who are standing up for science every day, armed only with a slide rule and pocket protector. I'm your host, Colleen MacDonald. For this week's episode, we went out into Harvard Square and asked people what they thought about self-driving cars. And as you heard, the responses were all over the map, from the wary and worried to let's get these puppies on the road. Our correspondent, Louis Castilla, sat down with Jimmy O'Day, vehicles analyst at the Union of Concerned Scientists, to talk about autonomous vehicles, commonly called self-driving cars. They discussed the technology, how autonomous vehicles will affect society, and some of the unusual challenges this technology brings. And stay with us after the interview for This Week in Science History with Katie Love. Thank you, Colleen. I was on the phone with Jimmy O'Day, one of our vehicle experts from the Clean Vehicles Program at UCS. Welcome to the show, Jimmy. Thanks. So, Jimmy, I just want to jump straight in. A lot of people don't know this, so could you please tell us, what are autonomous vehicles? Depends on who you ask. So most people would equate an autonomous vehicle to a self-driving car, a car that can totally drive itself under any conditions. But there's actually a spectrum of autonomous features, automatic braking, um, warning you when you're trying to change lanes. And so there's a spectrum from just those automated features all the way up to a car that can drive itself. And even for cars that can drive themselves, there's still a spectrum. I mean, just like in humans, you know, a 16-year-old that just gets their license, there's a spectrum between that driver and someone that's been driving for 10 or 15 years. Autonomous vehicles are more suited to drive under certain situations than others, and the technology is being developed and improved to make it suitable for all of the conditions possible, city traffic, highway traffic, uh, rain, snow, sleet. So who gets to say whether a car is good enough to drive itself? Yeah, that's a great question. That's the Department of Transportation at the federal level. And so they have these guidelines that they just issued uh, laying out what they see are categories and features that autonomous vehicles must meet uh, to, to, to be on the road uh, safely. So moving on, how do you envision that autonomous vehicles will change our current transportation system? I would say not that much um, in, in one way of looking at it. You know, what you read in the popular press are, you know, these kind of futuristic visions of a transportation system unlike, you know, we've, we've seen before. And you hear bold statements by CEOs saying this is the biggest change in transportation that we've ever had as a society. And part of that's true, but, you know, when we talk about self-driving cars, a lot of the focus is on the self-driving part of that word and not the car part. So these are still vehicles, and our transportation system today is built around vehicles, and that won't change in and of itself just with the advent of self-driving cars. There's still a lot of built-in dependencies we have in how our cities are built, 
um, how our society functions that focuses on the car, for better or worse. You know, some of the people we talk to really think that autonomous vehicles will change everything, from culture to the way we build our cities. What are some of your thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, I guess, you know, depending on who you are and how you use transportation, a self-driving car could change your experience quite a bit. If you're a person that's not able to drive, all of a sudden having access to a car that can drive for you could be a huge change in your life. In terms of cities, there's both optimism and fear for, for what self-driving cars could do. The optimistic views are we'll be able to get rid of a lot of parking. Uh, right now our cities have a lot of parking and that space could be better used for you know buildings, for, for schools, for parks, um, for you know city infrastructure rather than just these warehouses for our cars while we're not using them. The flip side is if autonomous vehicles make us more reliant on cars, all of a sudden we need more roads and bigger roads to handle what could be increased congestion due to convenience. If these vehicles are so convenient to use and people are using them more than traditional cars, um, that could be a negative impact on cities. The trolley problem is a theme that keeps showing up in popular culture whenever autonomous vehicles are discussed. It poses ethical questions about the way we program self-driving cars to respond when an emergency arises. Should the car take action to ensure the greater good is achieved, even though it may harm the owner of the vehicle? Could you tell us a little bit more about how autonomous vehicles will address security issues? Yeah, safety actually isn't my biggest concern. I think these vehicles have a ton to offer. They're not going to speed. Uh, they're not going to be texting. They're not going to be impaired from alcohol or other substances. But, you know, there's understandably, from the public standpoint, a lot of unknowns uh, when this robot is driving you around and, and you're not necessarily in control as we're used to be behind the wheel. The trolley problem's an interesting one and I think gets a lot of press because it's this really interesting philosophical question. What choice would a computer, a robot car, make under certain situations? And I guess the way I think about the trolley problem is, you know, what would I myself do under a situation where I have to make a decision on the road with an accident impending? Um, my first reaction is just to brake as soon as I can. And I think that the trolley problem builds in this assumption that we have a long time to decide what to do. I think it, it puts greater confidence in, in human abilities, per se, than, than we actually have time to respond. But I would still contend that, you know, the best thing for any car to do is going to be to stop as soon as possible, to avoid whatever obstructions in its way. You know, even a self-driving car isn't going to have vision to see every single inch of what's on the road to be able to assess what decision to make. Um, in that instance. So just like human drivers, I think, you know, the best we can hope for is that it stops as soon as it can and minimizes whatever damage it, it, it can. So what would happen if your car committed a crime? Could you be arrested for the actions of your vehicle? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, the, the way the technology companies are going is to assume liability for the software and the vehicles that they're making. If you were the the owner of the car and you told your car to do something that was not lawful. I'm sure there are situations where a car owner could be held liable, but um, the trend to me is that liability shifted upstream. That seems to be a, a, you know, a tactic for the car companies to make consumers comfortable with this technology. 
Some people are concerned about others hacking into their vehicles. Is there anything we could do about that? Yeah, the, the security issues, the cybersecurity issues are very real. Um, I think as we see every day, everything can be hacked. You know, it might take more time than others, but there's very few things that are impenetrable. And that's a, a very, you know, potentially dangerous situation if, if cars can be hacked to do things to their passengers or to do things to people or buildings outside the vehicle. So that, that'll be a real test that the software providers, the technology companies need to overcome to ensure public safety and all this. We'll be back in a moment with the second half of our interview. Got Science is brought to you by the Union of Concerned Scientists. Learn more at ucsusa/podcast. So, concerning pollution, will autonomous vehicles be good or bad? Very unknown. There's a lot of reasons they could be good and a lot of reasons they could be bad. Transportation could be very cheap, uh, something like 25 cents a mile. And if that's the case, and the cost and the convenience of these vehicles is so high that it increases our use of automobiles, um, that could have very serious implications for climate change, for air pollution, not to mention just having congested, crowded roads. And that's a very big unknown. On the positive side, there's potential for these vehicles to be shared. They can operate perhaps more efficiently if they're programmed to be good drivers, so to speak, and to not accelerate off the line. Um, Probably the biggest potential is for these vehicles to be electric and particularly as they're operated in a fleet because electric vehicles have lower maintenance and lower fuel costs. Electricity is cheaper than gasoline. Right now, there's a higher upfront purchase cost of an electric vehicle compared to a traditional combustion vehicle, but the overall lifetime savings of a vehicle, you you save a lot on fuel and maintenance. But that's not going to happen by itself. The auto companies have a lot of expertise and sunk costs and intellectual property based on traditional internal combustion vehicles. Um, So there's not necessarily a financial interest for them to develop an electric vehicle. For a company like Tesla that only makes electric vehicles, they're already there. But for the, the big automakers, they don't have an incentive to make this shift um, overnight, per se. And we've seen that in other areas. Um, there's resistance by auto companies to make electric vehicles today. And so it's not to say that if they're self-driving, that they would immediately change their mind. What are some of the ways we can weed out the bad stuff that could potentially come out from the use of this new technology? Yeah, so no matter what a vehicle is, whether it's self-driving or regular like we have today, we want the emissions from that vehicle to be as low as possible. And we know that electric is the way to do that. So, you know, the mechanisms we have right now for you know trying to ensure that more vehicles are electric than not, those would also apply to the self-driving vehicles. Is there a way of making autonomous vehicles more accessible for disadvantaged communities and communities of color? Our transportation system today is totally inequitable, and so much of success in our society depends on being mobile. And we know that lower-income folks don't have the same access to transportation today. So if transportation becomes much cheaper due to autonomous vehicles, that 
could potentially greatly increase access to folks that don't have the means to perhaps own their own car that need certain trips you know, in their day-to-day that have to be filled by a car because there's not a bus, there's not a train or a subway. So there's a lot of unknowns in that area as well. The bottom line is that our transportation system today is not equitable and is very inaccessible for a lot of folks. And anything we can do to improve that will be very positive for society. Do you have any last thoughts? Yeah, I think being thoughtful about, you know, potentially, you know, these large promises that are being made, you know, we have to examine them closely and really think about our transportation system as a whole. These are still vehicles, these are still cars, and that's the most defining aspect of our current transportation system is that it's built around the car. So there's a lot of things that need to change to make our, our communities more more livable, more walkable, um, and not necessarily dependent on the car to have options um, other than, than the personal vehicle. And a lot of those have to do with you know land use and zoning and planning. And so we really have to think about autonomous vehicles and our transportation system very holistically and how our cities are designed and how we, we function you know on a day-to-day, how that all plays into our ability to get around. Thank you, Jimmy. Back to you, Colleen. Don't go away just yet. Our correspondent, Katie Love, has stepped into the Wayback Machine to bring you This Week in Science History. This Week in Science History marks the founding of two scientific organizations a century apart. First, on March 3rd in 1863, during the height of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln signed a bill that created the National Academy of Sciences, which is charged with providing independent, objective advice to the nation on matters related to science and technology. More than a century later, on March 4, 1969, another scientific organization was created. That year, it was the Vietnam War that was raging, and Ohio's Cuyahoga River had caught fire. March 4th was the day that the Union of Concerned Scientists held its first public event. The role and mission of the nascent group was envisioned in a statement called Beyond March 4, which included the following. Even though the technological revolution has greatly benefited mankind, it has also released destructive forces that our society has failed to control. Far-reaching political decisions involving substantial applications of technology are made with virtually no popular participation. It is our belief that a strengthening of the democratic process would lead to a more humane exploitation of scientific and technical knowledge and to a reduction of the very real threats to the survival of mankind. Now, for nearly half a century since our founding, UCS continues to combine the knowledge and influence of the scientific community with the passion of concerned citizens to build a healthy planet and a safer world. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks to our correspondent, Louis Castilla, and vehicles analyst, Jimmy O'Day. Our This Week in Science History correspondent is Katie Love. Our Got Science theme song was written and recorded by Brian Middleton. Our executive producer is Rich Hayes, and I'm your host, Colleen MacDonald. You can find more of our podcasts at ucsusa.org slash podcast. <laughs>